Why don't we stand to our feet? Why don't we begin to bless the Lord together in this place and love Him? Thank you, Jesus, for your mercy, your kindness, your love and truth. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. We bless you. We love you. We glorify you today, God. There is no one like you. Hallelujah. Amen. Welcome to the Church of Omaha. While you're standing, if you would open your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Psalms, the 106th Psalm. It is 48 verses long, so I will read just verse 1 and 48. That way you can be seated again shortly. Verse 1, praise ye the Lord. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy endureth forever. And verse 48, blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say, Amen. Amen. Praise ye the Lord. Can we just do that for a moment? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We praise you. We extol you. We exalt you. We magnify you. We glorify you. You're great and greatly to be praised, Lord. There's no one like you. There never has been and never shall be. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God bless you. You may be seated in the name of Jesus. Again, welcome to the Church of Omaha. And if you're joining us online, we greet and bless you as well. I'm going to treat just a little bit this morning on this thought. God's faithfulness to an unfaithful people. Amen. How many of you want God to speak to your heart today? Praise God. I'm also excited to have our friends, the Grams, with us. And in our second half, Brother Scott Graham is going to be preaching. Amen. Looking forward to that as well. And I promise you, you don't want to miss it. Amen. Psalm 106 is unique in that it opens and closes with a call to praise the Lord. In verses 2 through 5, God and those who would do righteously are extolled. In verses 6 and 47, they're verses of confession and repentance, seeking God's forgiveness, deliverance, help, and His salvation. Verses 7 through 46, the vast majority of the psalm, reveal the history of Israel's sin, beginning with the exodus from Egypt all the way through to the exile into captivity about a thousand years later. This psalm then reveals the unfaithfulness of Israel generation after generation after generation. I'm also grateful to have my son and daughter in love here and I'm thankful that generational blessings can also be passed on. But as we talked about in our dinner fellowship last night, unfortunately, generational curses can also be passed on. While many versions of the quote exist today, it was Winston Churchill who I believe possibly made it most famous. In his speech to the British House of Commons, Prime Minister Winston Churchill paraphrased the quote and said, those who fail to learn from history are condemned to repeat it. 
Now, regardless of who said it first and who was the originator of the quote, the context of the quote has an element of truth to it. And Psalm 106 bears this out. It walks the reader through key periods of time in Israel's history, revealing her unfaithfulness. It reveals the exodus from Egypt in verses 6 through 12. The key verse being verse 7, which says, Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of thy mercies, but provoked him at the sea, even at the Red Sea. Not only did they not believe, not only did they not remember his wonders, they provoked him. Another psalm, I believe it's a psalm of Asaph, says they turned back. In other words, they they turned away from God and limited the Holy One of Israel. You see, it took God only 10 plagues to get them out of Egypt, but it took Him 40 years to get Egypt out of them. Verses 13 through 23 walk us through the history of the sin in the wilderness, including their complaints about food. And again, I reference another psalm. It's it's earlier in the psalms in the 80s somewhere, maybe even the 70s. But he... This psalmist talks about how that they, they get in the wilderness, they say, can God provide himself a table? Mind you, this is after they have seen God decimate the Egyptians. Those ten plagues attacked all of the Egyptian gods to the point that it demoralized the Egyptian people. They realized that their God, or gods rather, and that their Pharaoh was powerless against the one true God. So much so, they gave them silk and purple and money and carts and uh, just get out of Egypt. And, and, and the Bible used the word plunder. They plundered Egypt and they get in the wilderness. Like, Can God give us a table? What are you, a moron? He just decimated the Egyptians for you. And you don't think he can provide for you in the wilderness? And this psalm, Psalm 106, does the same thing. Walking the reader through this, including all their complaints, including the sin of Korah and Dathan and Abiram and the golden calf that Aaron made. And I love Aaron's excuse. Oh, the people brought me the gold and I put it in a fire and out popped a calf. Wow. You know, kids today, I don't know how it happened, you know. It just happened. Yeah, you'd know how it happened. You liar. In verse 21 is the key verse in this section. It says, watch this. 106.21. They forgot God their Savior, which had done great things in Egypt. We're not talking thousands of years later. We're talking weeks later. And it was only 40 years in the wilderness, so we're not even talking a whole generation later. Now, I have forgot a lot of things before. But to forget that God is my Savior? To forget what He's done for me? It's one thing to miss an appointment. It's one thing to forget something uh, uh, that's, that's you know, temporal. It's another thing to forget God. I told the district board at our recent Nebraska conference, I said, help me make sure I get all the thank yous you know, to where when I get up here Friday night, I, I don't miss anybody. And invariably, I missed two people. 
you know? Number one, I'm not human. Number two, it, it happens. And while it happened and, and they're fine with it and they, hey, thank you, that's no problem, you know, we love you, and, you know, we know you're thankful and all this. I don't ever want to forget God. I don't ever want to get to a place where I'm like, let's see, uh, what did God do for me? Uh, wow. I don't ever want to forget, watch this, the rest of the verse and the, the great things he's done in Egypt. I don't ever want to forget where he brought me from. Watch this. I don't want to remember my sin to glorify it, uh, to, to stay connected to it, uh, to act like, you know, I'm all that in a bag of Fritos because praise God I did this and that. No, I want to remember that he brought me out of that. He lifted me up out of that. He took me away from that. And I never want to forget where he brought me from. And I never want to forget his mercy in doing so. Why? Because I didn't deserve it. I couldn't have earned it. I couldn't have invested enough money to make enough money to buy it. But he gave it in mercy. And I don't ever want to forget. But going on, the psalm continues. Verses 24 and 27 highlight the unbelief of Israel at Jordan and their refusal to enter the promised land. It says they despised, this is verses 24 and 25, they despised the pleasant land They believed not his word, but murmured in their tents and hearkened not unto the voice of the Lord. And and again, I'm baffled. You watched what he did at Egypt. And depending on which scholar you read, it was just a few weeks later and they're at Jordan. And now they're like, well, I know what he did in Egypt, but he can't do it here. What? They saw themselves as grasshoppers. In fact, when the ten spies give their report, this is how it says it. You you can check me. It's in the Bible. They say, we were as grasshoppers in their sight. I want to know, how did they know what those men were thinking? Did they go up and say, hi, I'm with, uh, you know, Israel Times. Uh, How do you feel about us? I don't think they interviewed them. I think they assumed. I think they had a false perception they realized they looked at themselves as something that, that they were not. And instead of seeing the great God for who he was, they saw themselves as puny grasshoppers in the eyes of giants. They did not mix. Hebrews says they did not mix the word of God with faith. Can I just share something with you for a moment? And, and if there's any pastors out watching this or saints of other churches I I hope this helps you there's sometimes a burden on the shoulders of of the man of God the pastor and even even the guest ministers that will come and will preach because there's only so much we can do I'm not going to force feed any one of you I'm not going to make you accept what I'm preaching today and neither is Brother Graham and neither is the next evangelist and neither is Pastor Lucas and neither is anybody else. We've done the diligence to prepare and to pray and to get our spirits right and to speak the Word of God but it's up to you to belly up to the table and say, I want some of that. I'm going to mix the word with faith. And if you're sitting there thinking about what you're going to eat for lunch, and if you're sitting there worrying about, you know, how good Brother Graham's going to be or, or anything else, and you're not really in tune with the message and you're not mixing it with faith, don't be surprised if you as well murmur and complain. 
<sighs> now, I know my notes, so I know where I'm going. This is not going to be one of those, you know, beat up the saints messages. So just want to forewarn you. What I am trying to get you to understand is what this psalm is, is, is revealing. I don't want to skip over the historical context and just, just kind of, you know, brush through it. I think it's wise to sometimes remember where God brought us from. And I, I, I can't answer for you, but I can answer for Myron. I never want to get to a place where I'm like, well, you know, I've been preaching since 1987. You know, I've been in this thing, blah, blah, blah. Uh-uh. No, sir, I never want to forget where he brought me from. I never want to forget the pit he picked me up out of. I never want to forget his mercies. I never want to forget his faithfulness. And I don't ever want to be unfaithful to him again. So it's evident. And by the way, verses 28 through 46 just goes on a, 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 a walk through history of, of about five or 600 years of the apostasy of sin, provoking God, angering God, disobeying God, acting like a harlot with false gods, committing sinful deeds without caring about God's judgment. They got to a place where it was what's called practical atheism. They knew there was a God. They just didn't believe he would judge them for their sin. King after king and time after time, it kept getting worse. So it's evident by these 40 verses, again, and if you want to do the math, 83% of Psalm 106, that generation after generation did not learn from history and kept repeating it. And as a result, we're judged by God. This makes this psalm most likely uh, a, a psalm that probably was written near the end of the exile period where they were in uh, Babylonian or Assyrian captivity. We don't know the psalmist. It's not listed for us in, in the superscription. It's not uh, told to us who it is. But, but we can understand that from the wording and from what he's getting at and what his prayer is at the end, that this is probably a psalm near the end of that. And, and this psalmist, for one, was realizing we've sinned and God's judgment has got us in this place of captivity. Oh, God, deliver us. Does that make sense? I'm not trying to bore you with the history. I'm just trying to lay a groundwork. And can I just now transfer to modern day and tell you that sadly, we're living in a time when evildoers wax worse. We're living in a time when people are rejecting God, being unfaithful to Him regardless of His faithfulness to them. We're living in a time when the entertainment industry doesn't have to hide their agenda anymore subtly. They can just write out, put it right out there, and they don't care. They parade it. They applaud it. Even worse, some churches and pastors... And sometimes even entire denominations have compromised and prostituted the Word of God. I'll never forget the preacher I heard, and he was, he was talking to a couple of preachers from another denomination who had just voted in that, that homosexuals can be ordained in their ministry. And he says, don't you know what the Bible says? He goes, we do, but we don't believe it. And how in the world can you call yourself a church? You've heard me say it before, and I mean this with all my heart. Everyone and anyone is welcome in these doors. I don't care what they've done, who they did it with, where they did it. I don't care why, because you can say, I was born this way. I'll let you win the argument because John 3 says you must be born again. And I'm going to preach that Jesus can help you and Jesus can love you and the church will love you and we will help you. 
but I'm not going to compromise this truth for anybody or anyone. Hell is too hot and heaven is too beautiful and eternity is too long. I don't say this to sound arrogant, but if my family turns from it, I'm going to stand true. If I have to preach to empty blue chairs, I'm going to keep preaching it. But with that all being said, let me remind you again, this unknown psalmist opens and closes, bookends the psalm with praise to God. It seems odd that he would start with, hallelujah, God's merciful, praise the Lord, and end it with, praise the Lord, and in the middle it's all of this unfaithfulness. Well, so my mind began to, why is that, God? What do you want to say to your people? What do you want to say to me? You see, this unknown psalmist specifically praises God's goodness and his mercy, which endures forever at the beginning, and then wraps it up by declaring his infinite reality that he is everlasting to everlasting. That's a real long time. And although it opens with God's eternally enduring mercy and closes with a plea of deliverance, this psalm does not gloss over the reality of sin or its consequences, and neither should we. Neither the 106th psalmist, nor God who impressed it and inspired it, nor this preacher today is acknowledging and saying that it's okay. I'm not advocating it's okay to sin. I'm not telling you to go sin. But I will join and say that if you do sin, you do have an advocate with the Father. And if God is willing to be that faithful to an unfaithful people that he would robe himself in flesh and come and die on a cross and rise the third day and forgive those who repent and baptize and fill them with his spirit. Mm -hmm. Then we too should rejoice in the miracle of God's mercy. Like Psalm 106, Jeremiah lamented over the sins of Israel. God had committed against God. If you ever want to read a book that just will make you weep and lament, read Jeremiah. But notice this. Right in the middle of the book, in the third chapter, there's a ray of hope. He says these words in verse 21. This I recall to mind, therefore... I have hope. In the midst of what seemed like hopeless, in the midst of what seemed difficult, Lamentations 3, he's in verse 21, I have hope. Why? It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. God could just say, I'm done with you. Bam! Wipe them out. Point his finger, speak his word, and judgment would come. But his mercy said, no, I'm not going to consume them. Why? Because his compassions fail not. Myron can fail. You can fail. But God never fails. Not only that, they are new every morning. So I got a question here. If they never fail and they endure forever, how are they new every morning? That's not written for God's sake. That's written for our sake. Because we go to sleep and we wake up. And our spirits is renewed within us. And when we wake up, we realize, ooh, there's new mercies. It's not so much that they're new. 
It's just that they never left. Verse 24, the Lord, or actually let me finish 23. Great is thy faithfulness. Uh, the Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to them that wait for him. To the soul that seeks him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. I know the 106th psalmist spent time exploring the unfaithfulness of Israel. But he still opened and closed his psalm with the mercies of God, with the infinite reality of who God is. You see, it is our miserable mess of sin that calls for God's miracle of mercy. And here lies the unexplainable yet undeniable reality of God's mercy. Are you ready? God delights in mercy. Braxton, I remember when I was a boy, I would be told by my parents, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you when they would discipline me. And in the way my mind works, there were times that I tried to negotiate. Well, let's trade places then. And I'll spank you instead. And see that it didn't work. It just made it worse. I vowed, son, that I would never say that to my children until I had them. And you probably heard that 101,000 times. You probably also heard, why is daddy doing this? Because you love me. Okay. Well, son, one day, when you provide the Grams and us with our grandchildren, and work with your wife on that, by the way. You know, there it is. This prophetic word going forth, hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> You'll probably say something like that to your children. And on that day, Jessica Braxton, you'll kind of understand what that statement means. And if I, in my finite mind, can understand a little bit of what it means that I don't want to discipline my son or daughter, how much more does it mean when God says, I delight in mercy? And so I believe with all of my heart that this psalm was written to to not gloss over the reality of sin and not gloss over its consequences, but to remind the reader and to remind the hearer there's a merciful God that if you'll turn back to Him, if you'll truly repent, and as Joel says, rend your heart and not your garments, you can find mercy if you'll ask. I want to tell this church today, God's mercy is audacious. I can say that with authority because I'm a recipient of the bold risk God took with His mercy. I know better than any of you and all of you the times I've failed God and been unfaithful. Please hear me. I'm not glorifying sin. I'm not saying it's okay to sin. Because any one of those times, God could have taken me into eternity. And my sins would have gone with me. And I would have gone all the way to a devil's hell. But what I am saying, like I believe this psalmist was trying to convey, is that like the prodigal, I realized I had it better in the father's house. 
I don't want this pig pen anymore. It's, it's a bunch of slop. It's, it's just, I don't want this. And every step back to the Father's house, I was repenting. I didn't expect to be restored to sonship, but he did. I didn't expect, I just, I was willing to be a servant. I was willing to just come back to church if that's what it meant. I'd set the furthest pew back if that's what it meant. If I could just get back to his presence. And I know the mercy of God didn't just let me in the door, but restored me, renewed me, revived me, refilled me. So I'm thankful for the audacity of God's mercy. Obviously, the greatest show of that audacious mercy was on a cross. You've heard it said love held him there. I believe the cross is where the cataclysmic, just universal paradox happened. God's ultimate hatred for sin met his ultimate love for humanity. And with every strike of that hammer on that nail, with every lash of that cat of nine tails on his back, with that spear that thrust through him, he was saying, I hate sin so much that I'm going to die for it and take it away. And I love humanity so much that I'm going to reconcile them. Because he who knew no sin became my sin. He became your sin and my sin. Why? And so that we could become the righteousness of God in Him. You ever considered mercy from the Old Testament? Probably some have, some haven't. Mercy, when we think of mercy, we think of the New Testament. But it's mentioned 54 times in the New Testament. But 208 times in the Old. We know the judgment of God is seen throughout Scripture. Even in prophecy, he's going to judge the wicked. Wickedness may seem to be getting a free pass, but there's a reckoning day coming when everyone will have to answer to God. Yet even with this judgment, mercy is still weaved into God's precious truth and approach of his word. Such is the case of a group of cities on the plains. We often mention just two of them, Sodom and Gomorrah. But did you know how audacious God's mercy is? The Bible says the cry of Sodom comes up to him. And he says, I'll go down and see if it's so or not. Wait a minute. You're God. You know it already is what it is. But I think God's mercy says, check it out just in case. I think God's mercy was so audacious it said, you know, I'm going I'm to check this out. I, I'm God. I get everything right. I'm never wrong. But I'm going to check this one out. Not only did he come down, he goes and finds Abraham and says, I'm not going to withhold this from him. And not only did he not withhold it from him, he let Abraham barter all the way from 50 down to 10. That's mercy. Now, we know how that story ends. There was no righteous people there. There wasn't ten or anyways. I know I think it's Peter that says righteous lot vexed his soul, but if that's the case, he was the only one. Rain of fire came down, brimstone consumed him. But did you know there were others like Nineveh? When Jonah went, God was gonna condemn them too and judge them. 
But because they repented, God gave mercy. Here's what I believe. Had Sodom and Gomorrah repented, God would have given mercy. Jezebel, one of the most wicked women of all the Bible, influenced many, possibly all but 7,000 Israelites to bow and worship to false gods. Yet when God spoke to his church in the book of Revelation to Thyatira, he explains that he gave Jezebel a space to repent. In other words, he gave her an opportunity. If you'll just repent, Jezebel, I'll forgive. That's the audacity of mercy. David should have been stoned for the affair he had with Bathsheba. He should have been a judge and condemned for ordering the murder of Uriah. But because he repented, because he took full responsibility, he received mercy. He didn't deserve it. He couldn't have earned it. And he was on that side of the new covenant. But God took a bold risk and extended mercy. Despite their continued apostasy, God was willing to forgive those who would repent. He came to His own. His own received Him not, but some, a remnant. Isaiah had prophesied it, though your seed be as the sand of the shore, only a remnant shall be saved. Paul refers to it in Romans, and there was a remnant. Some 3,120 on the day of Pentecost, and 5,000 the next chapter, and so on and so forth. That's the audacity of God's mercy. The Bible illustrates that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. You get that? He died while we're sinners. Before we knew him, loved him, wanted him, or even knew we needed his mercy. That's the audacity of his mercy. Can I just say it this way? I don't believe you can exhaust the mercy of God. Now, I, I, I will say that according to Revelation, there will be a time when he does come and mercy will be no more. But, but until then, I don't believe you can exhaust the mercy of God. When judgment called, mercy answered. I'll never forget the time I heard Brother Kenny preach that. As a young man, had it all figured out, knew what I was going to do. And uh, I was going to church, but church weren't in me. And I'll never forget that day he preached that message. When judgment called, mercy answered. And I realized judgment was calling for me, but God was still trying to be merciful. And I'm so thankful that I repented. God inspired Micah to write these words. Chapter 7, verse 18. Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? That doesn't mean he overlooks it. doesn't mean he just turns a blind eye to it. What it's meaning is he forgives it. He, he takes it away. He shed his blood for it. It's a prophecy containing uh, that he's going to come and do this. He retaineth not his anger forever because why? He delighteth in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities. And thou will cast all, somebody say all, all. their sins into the depths of the sea. Zechariah prophesied that in that one day, he took away all iniquity. Amen. Hallelujah. 
Psalm 36, verse 5, Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and Thy faithfulness reaches unto the clouds. In other words, it's so vast, it's so powerful, it is so infinite that you can't reach the end of it. Ethan, the Ezraite, in Psalm 89, joined the host of psalmists and testified of God's mercy. In verses 1 and 2, he says, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Thy faithfulness shalt thou establish in the very heavens. I'm thankful for the mercies of God. I'm thankful for His faithfulness to me. When I was an unfaithful person when I didn't deserve it when I was the prodigal the heavens shall praise thy wonders O Lord thy faith this is verse 5 thy faithfulness also in the congregation of the saints verse 8 O Lord of hosts who is strong who is a strong Lord like unto thee or to thy faithfulness round about thee the amplified that last phrase the amplified says this and your faithfulness is round about you, an essential part of you at all times. Wow. Not only does he delight in mercy, but faithfulness is all around him at all times. In other words, he'll never be unfaithful. You see, if I can use this terminology, we've cheated on God before. But God will never cheat on his church. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. But he never sinned. He became sin, but he never sinned. He was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. He won't cheat on us. So his faithfulness to an unfaithful people is not just Psalm 106 in Israel's history. It's Myron's history. It's your history. So how can we apply Psalm 106 to us? How can we make it applicable maybe just a little bit more than what I have preached here today? First, we must understand it was most likely written for a people in captivity and we then must understand that sin is a cruel taskmaster. We know the wages of sin is death. We know that transgression is hard. The stark realization should cause us to never go back to where Jesus brought us from. Secondly, we should never take the mercy and faithfulness of God for granted anymore. I can't change my past. I can't go get in Wit's time machine at, at, you know, in Colorado Springs at, at you know, Adventures in Odyssey and press the red button and go back and change something. Can't do that. And, and I'm sure if, if we were to have a show of hands, I, I'm almost positive, 100% of you would raise your hand and say, if I could go back and change that one moment, I would. We should remember it, if only to remember God's mercy in that moment. But we can't change it. We should remember that God took all of our sin, all of our iniquity, all of our transgressions, and, and, and though they were scarlet, He washed them in His red blood and made them whiter than snow. That's what we should remember. So we should read Psalm 106 and compare it to our own lives and do our absolute best to be faithful every single day. I can't change my yesterdays, but I can change today. And by changing my today, I can impact my tomorrows. 
I'm thankful that I started strong. I regret that I've been unfaithful to God. But I'm grateful for His mercy and faithfulness in spite of that. Therefore, I'm going to do everything in my power to finish faithful. I know it's been said and memes have been made and all that, but if I could just make it personal for me, and, and I know you'll understand it. I, just yesterday I was reelected to serve another term as superintendent. I'm thankful for that, and I'll do my best. And I'm not saying it for clapping, but thank you. But, but here's the point. Brother Graham, you said it in your message. I'm not going to be God, I'm not going to get to heaven, and God's going to say, well done, district superintendent. It says bishop on outside of my office. He's not going to say, well done, bishop. I'm going to hear the same thing you hear. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Now, I know there's no tears in heaven. I get all that. But I know there's silence for 30 minutes. Now, this is just my opinion. I don't have Bible for this. And there's a lot of men smarter than me. So if they come up with something better, we'll, we'll talk about it. But just for a moment, I wonder if that 30 minutes is not just a moment of awe to say, me, faithful? If, if it's possible, I, I don't even know, but if it's possible, I wonder if we're going to have one last remembrance of everything God did for us. And we're going to be standing there in this beautiful place. And I remember where he brought me from. This place is so beautiful, so joyous. Me? Faithful, but right here in 1991, I wasn't so faithful. Right here in 96, I wasn't so faithful. Right there in 2005, I, I wonder if just for a brief moment, that's what the 30, and, and if you'll allow me the latitude to just let my imagination go, I wonder if that's what it is. And after that, the most uproarious sounds of praise and thanksgiving I've made it. I'm here. It was worth every trial. It was worth every prayer. It was worth every thing I went through. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your mercy. I'm with you for eternity. I wonder if you're ready to see him. If you want to see him, would you stand to your feet and begin to thank God for his mercy as we bring the first half to a close. I wonder if we could just take the last couple of minutes and say, God, I know I've been unfaithful. And if it's my life in Psalm 106, there could be plenty of verses written about me and the sin I committed and the wrong I did. But thank you that in spite of my unfaithfulness, you were faithful. You were merciful. You kept me. You loved me. You forgave me. Oh, come on. Praise Him for a moment. Thank Him for a moment. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If you've been unfaithful to God, whether you're here or online, I, I offer this hope to you today. You're still alive. You're still here if you're here in, the, in person and you're, you're around or in or on a blue chair. Therefore, there's hope. If you've been unfaithful and you've come this morning and, and maybe this message has hit you with conviction, guess what? There's an altar. 
We're going to have a break and all that, but, but pray during the break and repent. And there's a, there's a chance for you because you're still alive. And if you'll pray as the psalmist did, God will forgive. One more time, I'm going to read the last two verses. Verse 47 and 48. Pray like this. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the heathen to give thanks unto thy holy name and to triumph in thy praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say, Amen. Amen. Praise ye the Lord. Clap your hands one more time. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Take time in this break. Fellowship, connect, and come right back in. We're going to start our second half with a very special announcement, so please be here. God bless you in Jesus' name.